Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, a podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and my fellow video essayist, Tom Vanderlinden, that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week, we're going to be talking about director Mark Mylod's The Menu. Before we get into that, though, I want to quickly mention our Patreon. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash cinema of meaning, where you can join our Discord community and get access to other benefits as well. Check out the details in the description below and by going to patreon.com slash cinema of meaning. Tom, this is a movie you saw in theaters I'd been planning to mm-hmm. see and then you watched it and really enjoyed it, recommended that we talk about it on the podcast. I went and saw it. Tell me about the menu. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this a lot. I think you really enjoyed it. So what, yeah. what made you interested in discussing this one on the show? I think, first of all, it was just probably my favorite theater-going experience that I've had this year. It should be noted, though, that we're recording this before I'm going to Avatar 2. Okay, yes. Which, <laughs> you know, you never know. That's It's not a big right. release that's coming up. I'm seeing it in two days, so that's gonna might also be exciting in a fully booked theater. But anyways, I saw the menu on opening night in this small local art house theater, like... Which is always interesting because for some reason, those theaters, they always draw like a very diverse crowd of people. Like, you know, when I go see a Marvel movie at like the big cinema, it's all dudes like me and their dads, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's clear that there's a target audience that's coming to show up. But with those art house movies, there's like all kinds of different people from all walks of life. And that to me always makes it more interesting. But the crowd was like really into it. And it was like an intermission. You always have an intermission at that theater, regardless of the movie length. And in between, everyone was getting a drink, but everyone was also actually like interacting with each other. They were talking to each other like, oh, that's so crazy. Where do you think it's going to go next? And what do you think is going to (laughs) happen? And, you know, afterwards, it's a small, not a spoiler, but if you've seen the movie, you'll get the reference. Like at the end of the movie, everyone walked out and we all got like a free cheeseburger or um, (laughs) a vegetarian version for those who don't eat meat like myself. And so everyone, like a lot of people stayed afterwards to hang out and there's like a cafe attached to the theater and everyone stayed and hung out for a bit and talked about the movie. And it was just a really fun, unique movie going experience because I've had it before where you have a movie like Top Gun Maverick where you kind of sense that everyone in the theater is kind of on the same emotional wavelength as you are as you walk out. Like everyone's all pumped up and excited, but it's rare for me at least that you actually see that kind of interaction with the audience or in between the audience members. It's just a really fun night out, which made it, for me at least, uh, much more memorable also. I think it actually relates somewhat thematically to what the menu is about. Because I felt... Yeah, I was going to say, this is a movie that probably encourages that kind of discussion about it afterwards Mm -hmm. and even during, because it's a little bit meta. It's about a high-end restaurant, sort of like Michelin star crazy art house Mm -hmm. restaurant, essentially, that's very exclusive. And as the film progresses, at least in the early stages, you're getting these different dishes. And a lot of the movie at first is like the different guests kind of commenting on the food that's being brought out and sort of discussing it. And Mm -hmm. some of that is meta in a sense that the discussion they're having about the food kind of relates to how we might talk about art or even this movie itself. And so it seems completely appropriate that 
you would have a break in the middle of this movie and everyone would come out and be like, ooh, you know, what do you think of the food? How, mm -hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. have that little bit of discussion. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that surprised me actually when I got back home and I checked out some reviews and I didn't check out that many, but the few reviews that I read, they seem to categorize it as just another like eat the rich type movie, which to me doesn't right. capture it fully. Like there's certainly elements there of, class struggle somewhat related or similar to the discussion we had in Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. But I felt like there was much more to it about the way we relate to art, I think is one of the, probably the most central theme for me and something that is really interesting to kind of use as an angle to approach this movie because all the different characters, they kind of relate to that theme in their own little way. And as you said, it definitely inspired this meta aspect, which I got to experience firsthand by having all these people around me that kind of had their own opinions about high-class food and art in general. And for me, it was just a really fun experience. And I think it's a meaningful one too, and probably a little bit more than it's getting credit for right now, or as far as I know. So that to me is what made me interested yeah. in discussing it and see if we can dig a little deeper and maybe point out some stuff that others haven't seen yet or haven't talked about yet. Discuss. Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to talk about here. I think I like how it's written and mm -hmm. I have a theory. I don't know how much of this is true, but like I haven't read that many reviews, but I've seen also the like negative reviews of this film. And this one definitely it probably won't make like my top 10 list for this year or whatever. But I think it's a good movie. I really enjoyed watching it. My theory is kind of that I think a lot of the people who maybe are having a very strong negative reaction to this are watching it almost more as like a thriller. Whereas mm -hmm. for me, it very much came across almost more as like a dark comedy. Yeah, um, definitely. And so I think like if you can appreciate it from that angle or if you're watching it in that way, there's maybe a lot more here to uncover. Mm. I mean, it has sort of thrillery elements, but if you're just trying to read it as this like completely straight-faced, I don't know, if you tip too far into the territory of being certain kinds of characters in this dinner yeah. and you're trying to like overanalyze the food you're eating essentially and watching this movie, it might not be as palatable. So we'll mm -hmm. get into that. I think there's a lot to discuss. We're going to have to break the spoiler seal pretty early on because I think it's going to be hard to talk about without yeah. getting into spoilers at all. But I already mentioned we have fancy restaurant that's out on an island. We're introduced to kind of the two main characters, which are Tyler and Margot, played mm -hmm. by Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt. And Anya Taylor-Joy is kind of being dragged along to this dinner by Nicholas Holt, who is not just like a foodie, but that being part of his identity. He says at one point he's watched every episode of mm -hmm. Chef's Table like five times or something. <laughs> so that's his whole, not just character, but personality as a human being. So they and a bunch of other guests get on this boat. They go out to an island. There's different groups of guests. We have a movie star and his assistant. We have a husband and wife who are kind of the regulars. They've been to the restaurant a bunch of times. You have a bunch of tech finance bros. The critic plus the critic. her like sort of enabler character who's, I'm not sure if it was a romantic partner or just someone who's... At uh, one point he's kind he of a takes yes the check and the, yeah. yeah, he says it's on the magazine. I think he was mm. maybe an editor or yeah. like something like that. Yeah, I think those are all the mm -hmm. groups of guests that we have. So they're ushered onto this like highly prestigious island where the chef and all the people live 
and they cook this renowned food or whatever. And as you might guess, if you've seen the trailer, things start out weird and just keep getting mm-hmm. weirder. So where do you want to start discussing the menu, so to speak? Yeah, I guess we have to start with the amouche bouche, the little, <laughs> <laughs> the little treat that you get before the first course. <laughs> yeah. One thing I wanted to add to what you were saying earlier is that for me, it was actually really obvious that it was a dark comedy and like for me like the theater was laughing like all the time they even at the weirder parts towards the end or the more yeah that other people may have perceived as more serious like everyone here was kind of like oh that's crazy that's funny (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i think that's definitely especially with the finale there's just such a big layer of absurdity to it all just to kind of skip ahead like way to the end the image of everyone dressed up as this human marshmallow accepting their fate it's just there's no way that this movie (laughs) was meant to be right right (laughs) consumed as a straight-faced thriller or some self-serious deconstruction of like society or class dynamics but yeah going back to the beginning i think it's interesting if maybe we can see how every guest relates to the menu, so to say, because kind of the premise as it gets revealed to us is that the chef, Chef Slowick, played by Ralph Fiennes. Ray Fiennes, yeah. Ray Fiennes. He has actually deliberately selected all these guests for his devious little scheme, so to say. So it, it might be interesting to kind of deconstruct or pick out like why each guest was selected and how that relates to the movie thematically. You already mentioned Tyler by uh, Nicholas Holt's character. He was this really enthusiastic foodie who on the one hand does have a genuine appreciation for art, but he's also one who, or in in his case for food, but you know, more generally, you could see that as a true appreciator of the arts. And as someone who also, he has some genuinely moving minor monologues about why this kind of fine dining is so special and why it's so important. And that really resonated with me. But yeah, he's also one who gets labeled later on. He also turns out to be kind of a sociopath when everyone else is suffering. He's still enjoying it for some reason, or he just refuses to see the reality of it all. But he's also this, in any case, in perception to the chef, he's someone who takes the mystery out of the whole experience. Like he's sneakily taking pictures when he's not supposed to. He knows how to identify every little thing in the food. I was kind of wondering, as a video essayist, did you feel at all called out by his character <laughs> <laughs> this was this was the first question i was planning to ask you because yep. yeah i was like equal part or like there was little bits i felt called out by uh <laughs> the critic and this character combined although definitely much more this character mm-hmm. but yeah if i was gonna end up as a character in this film <laughs> or like any video essayist it's gonna be the tyler character I was thinking about that a lot because I think some of that is kind of a, I don't find it offensive or like an actual Mm -hmm. serious critique of kind of what we do. And I don't know if Mark Milad or I guess the writers more likely had like video essayists in mind writing this, Mm -hmm. you know, because it could apply to other sort of enthusiasts who like to dissect and deconstruct Mm -hmm. the art or whatever. But yeah, there's definitely a stereotype there of somebody who's really into not just the thing, but how it's done. And also kind of the element of wanting to 
do it and holding sort of the chef on such a high regard. There's this element of he wishes he was the chef. There's such an idolization of the chef. And that kind of thing definitely happens to some extent. It's a vibe that I get from a lot of like the YouTube film space is mm -hmm. this desire of like, oh, a lot of us are coming at talking about movies, not just because hey, we really like them, or we're a film reviewer or a critic, but because at some point we were interested or still are interested in being filmmakers. And there's this sort of vaulted admiration of the director as this almost mm -hmm. godlike figure and deconstruction of the minutia of filmmaking. So there's a lot of resonance there. The extent to which some of it is like playful mm -hmm. and funny, I appreciate. I felt like if that was the actual, I mean, obviously, if that was the actual critique, mm -hmm. I'm probably a little bit defensive because I think <laughs> what we do is legitimate on some level. Yeah, probably more than I'm, <laughs> I'm like 99% sure it wasn't <laughs> literally personally yes. directed as <laughs> <laughs> no no I, th that's what i'm saying i don't think it's i think it's a broader stereotype yeah. than like the movie being like video essayists are ruining movies <laughs> but he does he, he does feel like he kind of captures the more new agey fanboyism that's sprouted yes, up yeah. because of the internet and because of social media which is kind of the wave that we're part of i'm not that afraid to even assume it as a more straight on critique of what i do it's something that i have um, thought about thought about like quite a bit and yeah. I also kind of was confronted with it when I did my last video or at the time of recording my last video on uh, Belatar who's also a filmmaker that really in many ways defies our kind of critical analysis and kind of confronted me with the fact that kind of the framework that we generally use does have limits that we don't always take into account as much as we should especially I think earlier on, the first wave of video essayists, I think kind of started to deconstruct movies in a way that was one way, but it became like the way to do it. Like yeah, now yeah, we're looking yeah. at a movie and we see the heroic journey or we see the three act structure. We see the inciting event and the midpoint and we see the scene, you know, come in at, as late as possible, go out as early as possible. We see all the rules and in some way that, you know, it enlightens a lot about how stories work or about how most stories yeah. work, but it doesn't always prepare us for what to do when a movie doesn't necessarily stay within those limits. And then it's easy. I feel like a lot of people become more critical of movies that don't exactly fit into the boxes that we've created by cultivating this kind of homogenistic framework sort of i do like the way the menu did show both sides of that a little bit because he does genuinely inspire margot's character for a bit like for a at the beginning of the movie when they're on the boat they get like this little dish and he explains to her what makes the whole art so beautiful and it does have an effect on her like she's like oh i can i guess i can kind of see it now or i see where your passion comes from and i feel like that's something that there is a positive outflowing aspect there that can yeah lead to that kind of enthusiasm also inspiring others but yeah towards the end it does seem there's a more critical note added to it where you can kind of wonder to what's the point of always and constantly identifying every little element instead of just sticking with the experience yeah but yeah. at the same time you know the chef who is criticizing all these different types of people for ruining his art in some way he also admits to himself being part of the system and that kind of creates yes. that sort of toxic dynamic or destructive dynamic. And he himself is also called out by Margot towards the end. So he's also not, yeah. you know, free from blame or might not be 
it kind of undermines the criticism that he may have initially had on some of the other characters. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well is I think and this goes to something you mentioned at the very beginning that would lead to like an overly simplistic kind of eat the rich interpretation of this movie or just purely that is, you know, if you see the chef as the good guy or read the whole room as they're all the bad guys and the whole mission of the chef in this experience is kind of actually justified in some way or I don't know it, like to me it's really hard to read it that way because he's portrayed mm -hmm. as I think it's much more about the toxic relationship between the consumers of the art and the artist in this sort of elitist structure and all the ways in which it can become not about the thing itself and about enjoyment and meaning in the thing itself but mm -hmm. just like so many other things so you have these kind of critiques that are leveled against criticism or different areas of the elements related to art or whatever. And it's not just purely presenting those critiques and saying, hey, here, these are valid. Mm -hmm. It's also undercutting the person who is kind of presenting those yeah. critiques. So I think it's a little more nuanced than just saying like, hey, because I've had those thoughts about video essay stuff as well, those elements of like, Am I just revealing the magic trick? And then when people watch it, mm -hmm. they're like, I know how it's done. And it, it ruins the illusion. And it's possible that there's been some of that at some point. But ultimately, I don't think that that is the case because mm -hmm. I know my personal experience of the more and more that I've learned about the process of filmmaking. I think I enjoy movies more now. I like and love movies more now than I ever did in my life before. I think I've only come to love them more because of, I think, having a better understanding yeah. of what goes into making them and kind of the nuance of sort of the art itself. And there is kind of like an elitism to saying, hey, you're not allowed to reveal the secrets. What mm -hmm. we do on set, what we do <laughs> behind the scenes is this magical thing that nobody's supposed to talk about or it'll ruin the thing. That in and of itself, I think, is kind of this elitist, you yeah, know, definitely. almost toxic yeah. kind of glorification of the artist and the art beyond what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a central idea that this movie is kind of poking at and trying to deconstruct a little bit yep. in the first place. I feel the same way about the critic. Like I would call myself a film critic because I think that's the broader category that what we do falls into. Mm -hmm. But we're not critics. Uh, we are kind of on this podcast. In our, <laughs> day in our YouTube stuff, we're not critics in the traditional sense in that we're not just like writing reviews and being like, this good, bad, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think the critique of oh, this critic wrote a bad review and put this place out of business or this, mo you know, this movie didn't do well because the critics don't like it. I think that's such a terrible take <laughs> yeah. because it's like it's not the job of critics to like support the industry. It's their job mm -hmm. to write their opinions about yeah. the stuff that they and if you don't like that, you can like not listen to them. But I think blaming a critic for like putting a place out of business, is there toxicity in mm -hmm. the critical industry in some areas? Maybe. I don't know. But I don't know. I just I'm almost more defensive about that critique in this movie than I am about the one that's maybe is more <laughs> accurately leveled against me because it's just a take I don't find has much ground. I think it was more maybe about, did you point out that the critics put 
other businesses out of business or other restaurants out of business. But I'm not sure if that was the main issue or that it was more about her own little power play and her own ego right. instead of... yes. Because her dynamic with her partner or the character she was with, that felt also really significant in a way that he would never say anything that would contradict her opinion. He was always like, oh, yes, you're right. Oh, yes, the way you just said it, that's correct. So it right. felt like she wasn't genuinely reviewing businesses or restaurants on their own merit, but more trying to review or elevate her own position as this revered critic who has the power to put places out of business. Yeah, which I'm guessing that's a tension that might exist between any form of art or any form of business and the people who are professionally reliant on their job to critique that. And also one thing I wanted to add about Tyler's character is that one significant part of the movie is that he's also at one point put into the kitchen himself where he, you know, after all this enthusiasm, all this passion, after seeing all the chef's tables episodes five times he right <laughs> still unable to put together a dish you know i like the way like yeah. every course there's this text on screen with just kind of explains what it is and his meal is just described as uh, undercooked lamb or something total <laughs> yeah, lack yeah. of cohesion <laughs> <laughs> although that was also kind of an unfair situation like he's under the threat of death and he's kind of pressured by having to perform in front of all these chefs not just the one he idolizes the most but all of them and all the guests so i'm, I'm right. guessing that under that kind of stress you would not be able to perform as well as he would just in the comfort of his own home but that does kind of add to that extra little bit of what maybe some of us on YouTube might have, where we feel like we have the passion to make great movies or the passion to identify what makes a movie great, but that wouldn't necessarily translate to any actual skill if we were to be placed inside the kitchen. Right. And yeah, yeah. if like tomorrow Martin Scorsese comes to my home, drags me out, puts me on a movie <laughs> set and says like, okay, right. now you go do it. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent convinced like that's not going to be a great result. That <laughs> It's going to be undercooked lamb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With leeks and shallots and butter. Yeah, yeah. total lack of cohesion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that cliche or trope about critics being failed filmmakers mm. or, you know, every now and then a critic tries to make a movie and then it's terrible or something. I think there's examples of this. I don't have any off the top of my head, but... Well, Chris Stuckman's going to make a movie soon. He's going to be a... Chris Chris Stockman is working I think he's on one. Probably one of the first of the new AG internet movie nerds who has gone to the point where he's now able to make his own movie. Kagananda, he transitioned from video essays to making films and has made two actually, I think, oh, really? pretty good okay. movies. Columbus yeah. and After Yang are both pretty good, in my opinion. I didn't know you made video essays. Yeah, he kind of got plucked out of that, connected with the guy who I think produced Rogue One or something. He made the transition. He was kind of in his own corner of video essays by himself, I think. He was doing mm. something that was a little more maybe unique in its own sense. Anyway, that's kind of a trope. And I think it's unfair to require people to be able to do something. It's unfair to say you have to be able to do this to have valid opinions about its quality. Mm, yeah. uh, I don't think that's accurate. Someone who knows the taste of wine and is a sommelier or like all these things, they don't have to be able to grow and make the wine in order to distinguish between different types of wine and hmm. 
comment on its qualities, et cetera. You know, those things apply to a lot of things. But I want to say that I bring that up because I think what this movie is getting at with that whole character and that whole arc is a little more nuanced than that. It's deconstructing his own obsession with the craft and him wanting to so badly to be this thing, but then showing that he wants to be it, but he's never taken that step of just getting into the kitchen and trying it himself or doing some of these things mm. himself. There's an unhealthy idolization there without an attempt to practice that on his own. And it's more about his relationship to the craft, you know, and him trying to like cling to a certain part of it yeah. But coming at it from the wrong direction or something like that. He's like a dreamer. Yeah, a dreamer who is never taking that step to practice or try to fulfill that dream. And instead, he just kind of becomes this parasite on the hmm. process as a whole. So what do you think the chef whispered to him that made him, because he ends up killing himself afterwards? Oh, I mean, my take on that was that he literally just told him to kill himself <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he just was like, yes, chef, that's yeah. how I die. That, because he's bought in. The big twist with him that we haven't talked about is he's the one we learn is the only one who knew going in that everybody was going to die, mm -hmm. which is a big revelation because there's this whole drama where Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Margot, she wasn't originally supposed to be there. She wasn't on the guest list. She's an escort. He hired her last minute to be his mm -hmm. date. And this is causing big problems for chef Slowick because he precisely planned this entire menu for everyone to die for certain reasons. And she's not supposed to be there. They have these conversations. But it also makes his character so much more insidious and terrible because he brought her along knowing that she was going to die because his other date dropped him. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's bought into like the whole thing. His obsession with the art and mm -hmm. with the director goes so far that he's like, oh, this is toxic. Everybody's going to die, but it's art. That's the beauty of it. It's art. That's the critique of this kind of character too, is it's the extreme exaggeration yeah, of this yeah. like film bro type character where it's like, oh, you know, David Fincher would tell me to do you know, 50,000 takes until I starve and, you know, <laughs> fall face down in the mud and like suffocate for the film. I'll do mm -hmm. it for the movie. He's like it's... a rabid cult <laughs> member of a cult that doesn't even exist really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's imagined himself. <laughs> so that was my take. I don't yeah. know. What do you think? Did you have uh, something? I, I was thinking among similar lines, he probably gave him some kind of direct order, but it's probably like anytime someone whispers something really significant to a character, but we're not hearing it as the audience, it's usually not doesn't really matter what is said specifically, but what it yeah. represents. And in this case, I think it just represented the total destruction of whatever dreamy illusion he was living in, or maybe his own complete destruction of his own perceived place within that whole world of high food. Yeah. Like, because he feels, I'm not sure if he was actually aspiring to be a chef himself. I don't think he showed any signs of like, oh, I wish I could have done that or I want to aspire towards that. But he does feel like someone who just thought he belonged there already in a way because he, you know, he knows all the instruments. He knew what the thing was that the other chef used and he knows like, oh, is that a hint of bergamot I taste? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that whole scene where he comes over, the chef comes over and he starts like, just buttering him up was probably my favorite part of the movie. Uh, 
He's like, you you noticed the Bergamon. Anyway. Mm. <laughs> he already treats, seems to feel like he treats himself as an insider, even though he has no clue at what the actual work maybe takes, because that's something that the chefs understand, you know, as we see also yeah. later, he's worked himself up from, you know, from nothing, complete sacrifice all the way up. And then there's this little kid that just kind of casually walks into his space, believing like, just because he really likes it, he's now in some way a part of it and an important part of it. Yeah. Interested in more Cinema of Meaning? Each month we have an entire bonus episode available exclusively on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula. So far we've talked about Sam Mendes' 1917, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, 2001, A Space Odyssey. In addition to those and any future bonus exclusive episodes, you'll also get access to our regular episodes ad-free and a week early when you listen on Nebula. The best way to get Nebula is with the CuriosityStream bundle. You can learn more about that in the description below or go to curiositystream.com slash cinema of meaning. You can even plug the Nebula feed into a normal podcast player and listen wherever you like. Sign up today to get more cinema of meaning and access to all the other great content on Nebula. But yeah, some of the other characters, we <laughs> it was a really long yeah, tangent should. on the... <laughs> <laughs> well, we addressed the ones that were most adjacent to us first. Yeah. There's also an actor and his assistant. There's the finance guys and the regulars. Yeah. All of these characters kind of represent different types of people in relation to art. And because the people working on this are filmmakers, I think a lot of it is probably also adjacent kind of to filmmaking. So you have the finance guys are like, they're just there. They're like, oh, we're at work. This is so cool. It's, yeah. it's expense. And they feel like they have power over the restaurant because they work for the guy who owns the restaurant. So mm. they try to kind of wield that power but ultimately they are it's yeah uh, just entertainment to them almost and like a subtle yes. power play yeah yeah and it's also revealed that they participated in some kind of fraud or mm. something like that yeah. i don't know what's going on with the actor guy besides maybe he's just egotistical and kind of self-obsessed he lied and said that he was friends with the chef when he wasn't really i really loved the reveal of why he was there it's just because the chef had one day off in years and he watched a movie of his and he hated it so much <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe it's a message of don't make bad art because <laughs> someone will come and kill you <laughs> yeah i'm not sure he felt the least thematically connected like he felt more like a kind of a distant aspect to the what was more the central theme that played out with the characters that we already discussed but right yeah i can imagine he does feel like someone who just deliberately puts out bad stuff because he has his assistant i think it was with him and part of the reason that they're there is because he wanted to make a series about fine dining and then go to all these different places and he was like not concerned with the food at all that much he's like oh yeah. i'll uh, eat take a bite pretend it's super nice then move on to the next place talk about some ethical issues and then win the emmy or something like that yeah yeah so and he, his assistant isn't buying it at all and she's yeah. like trying to get a different job and quit and all these things yeah so i think that's mostly his part in all this he's just someone yeah kind of an opportunist maybe also but yeah and then there's the rich couple the regulars who are just they're just kind of there out of rich people habit it seems right 
because that's you know when you get rich you start to do rich people things and then that's why you end up at a high class restaurant 11 times even though most people as the chef points out don't even dream of being there only like the ones right that's something where i felt like the chef also kind of recognizes his own part in that because you know, on the one hand, it does suck if you have like this super exclusive place and then there's this one couple who doesn't even appreciate it that really they kind of take away the opportunity from everyone else to be a part of it. But at the same time, it was like $1,200 per person to be there. So it's not exactly accessible to yes. the common Joes of the world. And <laughs> he says that at one point that he created a place that is only accessible to the class of people who are there. Mm-hmm. So he has this very conscious awareness of like he's quote-unquote elevated even the language in which we talk about these kinds of art things like we use this like highbrow which Mm -hmm. is even a term that has racist connotations and Hmm. elevated art and like there's this structure of like there's high art and low art and usually aligns with this high class low class sort of framework and he's found himself at the top of this and is realizing that now he's just serving all these you know, pretentious rich people that he doesn't like. Yeah. And that sucked all the joy out of what he's doing and the art that he's making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that gets especially addressed when Margot at the end calls him out. Towards the end, Margot, she gets, it's revealed that she, who she is and that she wasn't supposed to be there. And she gets this opportunity by the chef to be either die on the side of the takers or on the side of the givers, even though she sees it as a kind of a arbitrary choice, which really it is. But yeah. um, she gets sent out to do this little task. And that's when she discovers the house of the chef, which is pretty much just a replica of the kitchen. And there's this little secret room in the end where she sees all the pictures of him dating back in time and becoming increasingly happier on each photograph. And the last one, he's making this simple cheeseburger and so at the end then there's a kind of a weird sequence where she radios for help and then this cop shows up but he turns out to be in on the plan which didn't feel all that relevant to the rest of the story but anyways after that she kind of realizes oh shit i now have no way out of this i'm gonna die here and that's when she calls out the chef she wants to return her food and that's when she kind of confronts him with his own lack of passion and his own lack of craft really in this whole experience which was somewhat foreshadowed at the moment where i think the second course it was where he gives this great speech about bread being one of the oldest foods in human history and one of the most common foods and then he's like oh but you're not common people but and then there's the plate with breadless bread essentially yeah (laughs) that for me that's when i i went like in my head i thought oh if i was in a restaurant and they did that to me like i would not be amused (laughs) (laughs) i would be like thank you i will survive this because i usually can't eat the bread it would kill me because of the gluten but uh such a shame (laughs) i did i did like that little detail though of when the finance bros they insist on having bread Mm -hmm. but not only that they're like you must bring us bread this is outrageous. And also, please bring gluten-free bread for our, for our friend here. <laughs> this yeah. is a nice touch. But yeah. I have to stand up for my celiac gluten-free homies. Yeah, that's the one thing I did not like, really, because they made a really like a big point about that it's such a 
crime to ask for something like that or for their perspective in that moment it felt like they really saw it as an offense that they had to cater to your potentially lethal allergy to something that they might serve which doesn't seem all that fair to me i should say in my case it's not lethal it'll kill me slowly over the course of like 50 years but uh it's not like a peanut allergy or anything like that so but it is serious Mm -hmm. i can't eat it like as medical condition Mm. but i think that whole idea though is being undercut by kind of the deconstruction of the whole thing by the end it's kind of set up within He's yelling at the owner saying, there are no substitutions. Like that guy always wanted substitutions. And Nicholas Holt at the beginning is like, the one thing you don't do is send back food. So they're setting this up as like, you just have to take whatever is given to you. Mm -hmm. And then they're kind of deconstructing that as being like, that's not like. So I think there's this interesting thing at play here where this relates kind of to what we were talking about earlier with the critic and Nicholas Holt being this art lover, it's not that the art, the food is so that you're not allowed to engage with it critically, but it's more about how and why you're doing that. And I think Mm -hmm. that was one of the ways like Ray finds the chef is playing into this kind of toxic relationship is he's the one who's going like, my thing is so pure and good. Mm -hmm. And just to even question that is like an affront to the thing itself. Yeah. Which gets called out by Anna Taylor-Joy, her character. She kind of calls it out for him having lost touch with what people actually want and what is essentially the joy of eating and the joy of sharing food. And she kind of laments him for still being hungry, even though she's been hours at this (laughs) super fancy, expensive (laughs) restaurant. That's Um, not serving. That's just serving like little pools of olive oil instead of bread yeah (laughs) one thing i'll also add to what you were saying about that setup and then you know it sets up this restaurant and you kind of buy into it but then it slowly deconstructs and it kind of undercuts itself i felt like you also really see that in the relation between the audience and tyla's character and margot's character because i felt like at first like i connected more with Tyler, like he was the true enthusiast. He was really into the concept and I was kind of inspired by his passion in the same way that Margot also was a little bit at the beginning. And so when Margot was kind of throwing her little fit about there not being any bread and she didn't want to eat it, like I kind of sided with Tyler in that moment where he's like, you're here for this experience. Just try it out, you know, just be open-minded. Just (laughs) go with the flow, see where the story brings you. Even if you don't have bread now, there's probably going to be more afterwards. You're not going to go home hungry. Just stop acting like such a child, he says. But then later, as the whole concept of the restaurant starts being questioned, that's also when you're, I felt like the allegiance of the audience also kind of shifts around to... Margot's character where people start to realize like oh wait Tyler is actually kind of a jerk to her and kind of even like toxic abusive and generally a sociopath especially towards the end (laughs) so that's kind of when as the audience shifts from one character's side to the other that's also when you kind of come back around to your perception of this restaurant a little bit which I thought was really interesting so yeah that brings us back to that ending where Margot calls him out she demands a cheeseburger and that's when the chef for the first time in what seems like a long time actually prepares something with some sense of passion or some sense of lost love that is reinvigorated a little bit and that's what prompts him to let her go she kind of just takes her food to go and 
pays him 10 bucks and that's it <laughs> and that i kind of like that ending like i, I yeah I, I, I imagined like this could have gone in a way where everyone dies or there would be some kind of brawl as you know there was a little bit of a fight scene but not with the chef himself i like that it was more of this intellectual climax or this more emotional conflict instead of a physical alteration that is basically just an action scene and we have one character escape or two or i don't know but yeah i felt like it really stuck the landing with that last scene and then there's of course the setup where everyone else as anna taylor joy's character she leaves on the one boat and the, everyone else gets dressed up as these human marshmallows s'mores, and, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> s'mores. The, the ultimate disgrace in the food world apparently <laughs> <laughs> we don't really eat them here so i i'm not I've never yeah. had them really, but actually I've had them once, but I wasn't a fan. Like it's all sticky and if you put them in the fire, they either burn or they, yeah, I can imagine like Chef Slowik's distaste for <laughs> there. I, I will say I've had a decent amount of s'mores <laughs> in my life. I've had maybe one in adulthood bunch when I was a kid, <laughs> but they're very hard to get right. Like mm -hmm. a good one can be good. You get the right balance of marshmallow and it's melting the chocolate and the marshmallow is golden and melted all the way through. You know, it's not like squeezing completely out of the graham cracker into your hands. And then that's great. But most of them are like the outside of the marshmallow is charred. The center of the marshmallow is completely <laughs> rare. <laughs> the, the chocolate is completely unmelted and it, there's too much of it. And it just like the graham cracker breaks in your hand and yep. you just have like hands full of marshmallows and a <laughs> mouthful of like graham cracker and chocolate <laughs> sounds horrible but it is but it is a i mean contextually it's kind of like a cheeseburger in that it's like mm -hmm. it's a campfire food it's a food of mm. nostalgia and childhood and quote-unquote low class you know you could say so it that symbolically way. Uh, meaningful yes yeah. yeah just as the cheeseburger i guess yeah that was my one worry when i felt like that scene was coming up that they're gonna do the thing where it's like oh you know actually fine dining is bad and we should just eat like cheeseburgers which would translate to the same as you know high art movies are bad and right just enjoy michael bay movies and yeah shut up about tarkovsky and, <laughs> and <Pelotar. laughs> but i like that it wasn't about the quality or the type of food it was about the passion with which it's prepared which is the thing right. that matters and which is something that's the deciding factor in whether you enjoy something or not. And I feel like I've always kind of had that. Like I can enjoy a Michael Bay movie because I know the kind of passion he puts into it. I know like Zack Snyder also puts a lot of passion in his movies and he really seems to enjoy making them. And you yeah. can sense that through his films. So I appreciate that in its own right, just as much as I appreciate a Malick film or Erkman or whatever. Some of right. the more high artsy ones, quote unquote. And yeah, that to me is, has always been the difference between if there's like one difference between a good or bad movie, it's just for me, is it made with passion or yeah. is it just feel kind of boring or corporate or whatever? You know, a passionate movie can not be for me, like it can be not my cup of tea, but I can generally find things to appreciate in a movie that felt like a passion project rather than, you know, there's some movies that The Rise of Skywalker or something like that, that just felt like it came out of a factory instead of something that was made with a true sense of love for 
Yes. The story and the characters and, you know, the whole movie. Yeah. That's the kind of movie I can do very little with, in my experience. They're usually not even, like, interesting enough to really hate on even like they don't invoke anything in me like a bad movie made right. with passion can make me even <laughs> like feel passionately kind of passionately hate it almost or yeah dislike it with some kind of passion i guess but that's something at least that conversation or that interaction keeps the art form alive and energized in a way that the other stuff doesn't and to kind of bring it back to the menu i think that's the thing that margot was also pointing out yeah just, just make me something with something good, something with passion, something that I'll enjoy and stop being this clever deconstructionist intellectual who <laughs> lost his passion for food like years ago. But what if what I enjoy is clever deconstructed <laughs> <laughs> ingredients on a plate? <laughs> well, if he was able to make that with passion, then maybe it would yes, have been yeah, fine. Yeah. But... yeah, at the point where you're just doing that for the sake of doing it, or out of some sort of resentment or... I totally agree in that I think a lot of what bothers me in both film and television is this feeling that I get sometimes watching certain things where it doesn't feel like the people making it really made it because they wanted to make something. It feels like it came from the other direction. There was a company or an executive somewhere who was going, we need a third Star Wars movie or hey, we have this intellectual property. What can we do with it? Because that'll make money. Or they're creating slots to be filled and then they're finding stories and people to make the things that fill those slots. Not everything that follows that trajectory is terrible, but a lot of it just feels lifeless in a way that somebody having something to say or something interesting they want to do or some story mm -hmm. that is compelling to them and then wanting to express that and that coming out of that care, I think is often a lot more interesting. Like you're saying, even when it isn't exactly what I want, I'm much more fascinated by or just mm -hmm. enjoy seeing what somebody else really wanted to make. And I think to me, that's ultimately kind of where the critique lands here is it's when you've disconnected the art from enjoyment entirely. It doesn't have to only be about enjoyment or mm -hmm. it's not like good things don't have to be purely enjoyable in like a hedonistic way. You don't have to only eat s'mores or cheeseburgers or whatever. But when you detach that element of sustenance, like the real reasons we eat food, which are to put calories and nutrition into our body, and then also because it tastes good, when you completely separate those elements from the artistic process and you're left only with the finance aspect, you're left mm. doing it just because it'll make you money or you're left doing it just because it makes you famous or you're left doing it just because you've idolized the process so much that the chef or the artist is like a god to you or you feel power because you're the one who gets to decide if this is good or bad and build it up or tear it down. Or it's just a mindless thing that goes in and goes out and you just spend your money on it because you have so much to spend that it doesn't matter. When it is all those things which we see represented by the guests and none of the food, which is kind of represented in that little speech he gives at the beginning where he's like, don't eat. And it's yeah. like, but that's the whole point of 
food is to eat in a sense. It would be like a director coming out and being like, whatever you do, don't watch this movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, but that's why you're here. I don't know. I think it's just like, to me, where it landed is you can't take the critique that's in this movie and like push it too far in one direction of just being like, oh, you should only go watch cheeseburger mm -hmm. movies. <laughs> but you can't disconnect the love of something or enjoyment or whatever from the process or it just becomes toxic. Yeah, I agree. That I think that pretty effectively summarizes the movie. I think that the thing with the don't eat was just to say, like, don't just stuff it inside. Don't just nurture yourself, but really right. engage the senses, which yes. is something that does hold up to me to some extent. It's interesting because it's really a movie where every character says, or most of the characters, at least on the creative side, they do have genuinely good things to say, or maybe things that kind of were left over from the days when they were still passionate about it. I also really liked, for example, the way the chef points out that what they do is essentially meaningless and that the real beauty of the thing that happens with food is actually what happens outside in nature, where you have all these raw elements engaging with each other, interacting and feeding on each other. And we're just kind of trying to make sense of that in our own little contrived way with these dishes, with art form, with movies to some extent. We're also just trying to capture something about the human experience, what it's like to be us, what it's like to be alive. But ultimately the movies, they don't become our whole world in the end, right. at the end of the day, like actual life is still happening outside of it in more ways that are more magical and more mysterious than we could ever capture in the span of two hours or three hours or however long a movie is. So I like that. There was a kind of a humbling quality to that aspect that I really enjoyed that for me captured also something important about just something to be aware of when you're watching movies like that. There's always more outside of it than you can capture on the inside of it. And that's also maybe what keeps that passion to create a life because you know you're never going to make your definitive dish or your definitive movie. The forces that are out there are always bigger than the ones that you can contain. So there's always the act of translation or articulation that's always going to be an ongoing one. We've been making art since the moment we first drew on like the caves. So yeah. it doesn't feel like it's a process that's ever going to stop. And the same with food too. You know, food has always been not just a source of nurture, but it's also been a social communal aspect. And there's always been different meanings to different kinds of foods. And yeah, I think that's in some strange way, the movie made me really appreciative of that. So in that sense, it deconstructed its own perverted sense of art, but it also in that process gave me an appreciation for what it should be instead. And that's, uh, right. yeah, that's something that I really enjoyed. Yeah. So final question to wrap up on this movie, like you just said, is kind of a deconstruction of art, mm -hmm. high art, fine dining. It's a satirical comedy that's a little bit meta. It's also a comedy. Is this movie cheeseburger or is it uh, <laughs> a comedy that's without bread? <laughs> hmm, that's a difficult one. It's, I don't know, it feels like a, I think in the end it's probably a cheeseburger movie. It's very accessible. It's, yeah. it, at the end of the day, it's easily digestible and satisfying, but it may be a deconstructed cheeseburger to some extent. Can they, they, right, right. they pull it apart a little bit and then let you put it back together and enjoy it. But uh, <laughs> it feels like there's kind of a bait and switch in the movie where it serves you one yeah. thing. And then at the end, it's like, okay, just kidding. Here's your cheeseburger now. Right. Get out of here, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I think by the end, happily ever by, after. <laughs> by the end, you get the cheeseburger, but it definitely teases you along the way. Yeah. And that's kind of the fun part. Mm-hmm. But my wife, Hannah, and I were talking about the movie after we saw it. And I was describing it like I did at the beginning as like, it's not really a thriller. It's like a satirical comedy. And she was mm-hmm. like, well, the thriller would have been the cheeseburger. And I was kind of like, maybe you're right. So now I don't know. But that's the mystery we're left with, I think. She wipes her mouth with the menu at the end. And I guess Mm -hmm. the question is, does that represent the restaurant or is it more broadly representative of the movie itself? Who knows? Yeah, It's always weird when you have a movie that has kind of a meta aspect where you're not sure, like, does it also, it deconstructs a certain art form or a trend within movies or a form of yeah. movie making but does that also mean does it say something about the movie itself it's kind of the adaptation issue where it tries to lament the annoying third act it has to have an action scene but then the movie itself does end up in that exact same place which i don't always enjoy but i feel like this is not it's a little more satisfying here i think it feels so on the nose that it's like oh look how clever we i feel like the movie itself was not trying to out clever the audience by showing some kind of hidden insight that they then throw in your face but then undermine themselves by going back into that and using it anyways it's not like they're criticizing some trope that they then end up using themselves like that's not right. the kind of deconstruction that i felt was going on here or that's not the kind of meta-ness that was going on here they almost do the opposite in that yeah. they're advocating for something that i think they give you a little bit at the end which is it's not super self-serious by the end they're just kind of punking you a little bit and like mm. being playful and doing things just for the sake of kind of having fun and being funny and Mm -hmm. making a movie that ends in sort of a funny, raucous way. By the end, it's like, you know, we're trying to do some commentary and stuff here, but really it's about the American cheese, which is burning everybody alive Mm -hmm. as a giant s'more. That's just, like, ridiculous and absurd. And you enjoy that on face value for just the fact that it's ridiculous, not Mm -hmm. because there's some kind of deeper meaning there. I don't know. I think it escapes a lot of that trap just by like not taking itself too incredibly seriously. Yeah, and just because it uses a metaphor, it's not about filmmaking itself. It's about food and it kind of uses the kind of symbolism that lets you detach from that direct meta commentary a little bit. And yeah, I think just also based on the audience experience that I had, there were clearly like lots of regular folks in the audience. They weren't the selective types that would be invited to a restaurant like this. and right. But they were really entertained. So at the end of the day, it is the movie itself does show the kind of point it wants to make is that at the end of the day, it's just about kind of connecting together and sharing the passion for art and just having an entertaining night out, which in a movie would relate to just having a nice dinner evening and also getting some uh, really good food. Yeah. I'm jealous you got a burger at the end of your screening yep. because... By the time we walked out of this, sc- <laughs> the screening we went to yesterday, I was very hungry for a cheeseburger. <laughs> uh, the one we got, it wasn't as good as the one that they showed in the movie, probably. But uh, Yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but still, nice gesture. Yes. Yeah. 
Thank you all for listening to this episode. If you enjoy the show, you can support it in several ways. One way is by listening on Nebula, where you get access to our episodes a week early and without any ads like this one. You also get bonus episodes available on Nebula. Most recently, we did All Quiet in the Western Front as a bonus episode for November. For December, we did Avatar 2, which Tom is very excited about. I'm excited about checking out, so I'm sure our discussion about that by the time you're hearing this has already happened. At this moment, it's very anticipated, so I'm sure it'll be an interesting one. You can check those out on Nebula. If you don't have Nebula, the best way to get access to it is by signing up for the Curiosity Stream plus Nebula bundle. The link for that is available in the description below. You can go to curiositystream.com slash cinema of meaning. It costs less than $15 for a whole year of that bundle. So I definitely recommend checking it out and listening to the show that way and getting access to the bonus episodes there. You can also get access to the bonus episodes if you prefer and our Discord community through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash cinema of meaning or again, click the link in the description and We'll talk to you next time.